and rolling wild. It was incredible. I was like, this, this is, this is the stuff. This is the good stuff. You know, this is the, this is the lifeblood. Coming up next on Rolling Wild, it's Zeno Robinson. Hey everyone, welcome back to Rolling Wild. I am super, super excited to have Zeno Robinson on the show today. At only 25 years old, Zeno has already had an amazing and wide-ranging voiceover career. He's worked on shows like Spider-Man, Mobile Suit Gundam, Craig of the Creek, Big City Greens, One Punch Man. But he is best known for his work on shows like Ben 10 Alien Force and Ultimate Alien as Alan Albright. And more recently on DC's Young Justice as Victor Stone, a.k.a. Cyborg. <laughs> Welcome to the show, yeah, Zeno. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes. Super excited to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Every time I hear someone say that, I'm always like, oh my God. <laughs> That's got to be such an unreal experience. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's pretty wild. Um, you are cyborg. I know. I know. Oh, I, you know, it's like uh, some days you like you look yourself up and you like you like see your name next to the character you play. You go, how that's <laughs> I, it's really real. I was actually um, looking up Young Justice on Wikipedia the other night and my name was like in the cast list, you know, alongside everybody else. And it's just a very gratifying feeling, you know. That's so awesome. I, I'm I'm so, so excited for you, like secondhand. You. <laughs> yeah, it, it's pretty cool. It's it it's been a wild ride, um, that show in particular. I bet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, and then especially I think because you've been doing this for quite some time now. Mm -hmm. Right. About maybe like 11 years now. <laughs> yeah, which is crazy because you're only 25. Yeah. So yeah. would you like to tell everyone kind of how you got started in VO and acting and how that all took off? Sure. Um, I um, took a acting program um, a long, long time ago in like mm -hmm. 2008 or something. Um, it was called All About Kids. It was in Los Angeles. It was at this church. And the director, her name was Felicia Scott. She would pretty much um, advertise to kids. There was an I want an agent program. Um, this was when I had just figured out that I, I really wanted to do acting, like that I really just wanted to try it out. Um, and so I took the program and uh, she brought me. Uh, so there was like like five weeks of training. Um, and then you would perform in front of agents and agents would pick who they liked. I was scouted. I was picked by uh, Melissa Berger over at CESD. I was probably like 14 at the time. Um, and uh, she signed me commercially. Well, Carolyn signed me commercially uh, in the youth division. And um, that was kind of where it was supposed to be. Um, but Melissa kind of on a whim would send me things outside of that realm, right? She sent me a, mm -hmm. um, and then she sent me a voiceover audition for Ben 10, which uh, was my first ever voiceover audition. And I got it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I never worked again. Um, but that's kind of how I kind of got started. I kind of, I took, I, I got in the door and then, um, then Ben 10 happened. And then um, from there, I kind of learned about the world of voiceover and um that also catapulted into me taking other classes and learning from other teachers such as like tony gonzalez was my was my coach for a very long time he taught me like the basics and pretty much uh gave me a stable foundation um moving forward 
and classes like the one we took, how we met Charlie Adler. Um, I've, yes. I've been taking classes with him for probably since I was like 19 or so. So he's known mm-hmm. me for a very long time. Um, and that's kind of how I got started. Um, just and just auditioning and, and keep keeping doing it. That's not grammatically correct, but that's <laughs> what I did. Keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. Yeah, so to give everyone context, yes, Zeno and I met in a class taught yes. by the truly incomparable Charlie oh, Adler. Yeah, that's Uncle Charlie for me. Who <laughs> is basically voiceover royalty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's pretty much both of our childhoods. Yeah, I mean, he's worked on stuff like Cow and Chicken, mm-hmm. Tiny Tune Adventures, mm-hmm. Rocco's Modern Life. Mm-hmm. Basically everything between the 80s and now. Yeah, pretty much. This old Charlie. He, I think he was Cobra Commander at some point. He was, he was Cobra Commander. That yeah. is very, very true. Yeah. yeah. So anything between the 80s and now, he was either in front of the mic or behind the mic, mm-hmm. either directing or acting. Uh, definitely a great mentor to have. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Cyborg actually was through his class. I I I I, I had the audition, uh, and they gave it to me, and I workshopped it in his class, um, before uh, recording it <laughs> and sending it over, and booking it. Yeah, so that's amazing. Pretty serendipitous, right? Uh, fact. That's such great timing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I had uh, Sam Dietz, who's the director of Castlevania on here. Yeah, I didn't know you were, you were freaking. And I knew when we were in class, I was like, her voice is familiar for some <laughs> for some reason. And I had no idea that you were the Castlevania, you're Sifa in Castlevania, which is incredibly yeah, cool. Sifa. Sifa, yeah. Um, Castlevania is amazing. Just by the way, let me fanboy on you right quick. Castlevania <laughs> is so freaking good. And I, your character is so freaking cool. Um, thank you yeah i take i take pretty much no credit for that warren wrote an amazing character mm-hmm. and then with people like sam and Addie shankar mm-hmm. and kevin over at fred Raider, it's just mm-hmm. such a crazy team but you know what that's like working yeah. with with like brandon vietti and everyone yeah, over Greg wiseman mm-hmm. yeah um it's funny just because again we met in class but a mm-hmm. lot of these things we didn't know about like we were in class together and we were right. working on things uh, but but no one really gets in there and starts just spilling. It's like, well, I was on this thing and mm-hmm, that thing. Like mm-hmm. you're really there to learn, right. and and for the most part, you're just so impressed and kind of gobsmacked with everyone else that yeah. you kind of forget about everything else. Right. You're like, man, I need I have work to do. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> right. You know, I, I need to I need to work a little harder. Right, which is I think a, a great thing and how it should be. Mm-hmm. But um, funny enough, I think. The more that you and I kind of found out about each other, or at mm-hmm. least definitely me, right. um, and definitely in prepping for for our our little interview today, mm-hmm. um, I feel such a, a camaraderie with you. Yeah, you because too. this is you're the first person I've seen or I've talked to or met mm-hmm. who has had such a similar experience. Really. In this wacky VO space, because everyone's journey is so different. Absolutely, absolutely. And I feel like there are a lot of things here that cross over, which has completely floored me. Yeah. Like what? Well, I mean, I I started out in much the same way. I was uh, with an agent commercially, Mm -hmm. and then my agent just kind of referred me over to the VO department there at my same agency. Mm -hmm. And they kind of didn't contest it. They were just like, sure, we'll try her out Mm -hmm. and, uh, and see how it goes. And my first audition was for an episode of G.I. Joe Renegades, and I booked that. Hey. It yeah. was, I was so 
new to this space and mm-hmm. didn't really know how it worked at all. And coming mm-hmm. from commercials, you know, mm-hmm. you go and you audition for something mm-hmm. and then maybe you get a callback, maybe you don't, but you get a callback, you go in for that right. and you kind of wait and see. Yeah. With VO, you can kind of get cast off of the initial audition. Mm-hmm. And you don't necessarily go in for that. You either record at your agent's office or you might record at home. Right. Um, And so when I got booked for that, I wasn't entirely sure I was booked. I thought I was going in for a callback. Mm -hmm. And so I showed up at the studio (laughs) to record the episode. And they're like, here's a skirt. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Thinking it was a callback. Mm -hmm. And here's the other crazy thing. Mm -hmm. And I think you'll have a similar story here. Mm Mm-hmm. I was in the booth with this guy who looked vaguely familiar to me. Right. Really nice guy. Super talented. It wasn't until later that the gravity of this all hit me. Mm -hmm. But I was uh, in the booth with Kevin Michael Richardson. The same thing happened to me. (laughs) (laughs) The same thing. So when I, my first job, which was when I was in Ben 10, I was like 14, right? So I was just a kid. Like I, I had no idea that this is how cartoons were made. All my realities were being broken. And so I was in the booth with everybody <laughs> at Cartoon Network doing the, the episode of Ben 10 that I was on. And um, I was sitting right next to Kevin Michael Richardson. I had no idea. Um, but every time he spoke, I was like, he sounds so familiar. <laughs> I was like, I couldn't put my hands, I couldn't put my finger on it. Um, and even, and then Yuri would go and I was like, he sounds familiar. I, I, I don't know what it is. And then it wasn't until our lunch where like, they actually kind of like, were getting to know me and Yuri was like, oh yeah, I'm Sasuke in Naruto. And I was like, that's what it is. Oh my gosh. And like, I learned like Kevin Michael Richardson, who he was and he was gone to and, and Lilo and Stitch. And he was the dad in Static Shock. And Dwayne McDuffie was the guy who was doing my episode of, uh, of Ben 10. So it was like all of these uh, like worlds were colliding before my face. So yeah. I, I completely understand. Yeah. And that must've been so crazy as a 14 year old kid yeah. to not only be thrust into this is, you know, behind the curtain, behind the wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. Like these are all the cogs that are spinning to make these animated mm-hmm. shows. But then also to to have all of those worlds collide and it's like yeah. this one guy yeah. or these this group of guys are yeah, all, all of these characters. I mean, D. Bradley Baker, he's like every alien in Alien Force. So it was that was like a master class <laughs> and like, oh wow. Like these guys are good. You know what I mean? Like Yeah. See, and that's another one too, because after G.I. Joe and after that gap of kind of auditioning and stuff came the the show that I worked the longest on, which was Winx Club. Right. I watched Winx Club. And D D was on that show oh, as yeah. as um the rabbit. Yeah. And um and obviously he well as every creature and everything ever. Right. But again, it's it's that experience of your kid, you're kind of learning this process mm-hmm. and you see people like D. Bradley Baker mm-hmm. and Kevin Michael Richardson and Yuri Lowenthal. Yeah. And and your eyes are kind of open to, oh man, like this 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 thing exists. People do this for a living. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. So then, yeah. So then what is that leap from being a kid and and doing it, you know, for the enjoyment of it, Mm -hmm. for the love of it, almost like a hobby. You're still in school. You're doing other things. How do you make that transition into I'm an adult now and I'm consciously making this choice that this is where I'm I'm pointing my the the ship of my life like this is where I'm going. I think the leap is very much 
I think it's less of a leap and more of a stumble, <laughs> at least for me, like for my personal experience, <laughs> it wasn't very much of a leap. Uh, it was very much uh, a stumble and fall and get up and stumble and fall mm-hmm. and, you know, consider if you want to continue doing it and then mm-hmm. go for it again. You know, um, yeah. growing up, uh, my work ethic, um, as I've said on uh, other uh, times I've been asked this, like my work ethic changed growing up. Um, mm-hmm. So growing up, you know, when you're acting, you sit and you're young, you do it for fun. So you're kind of, I feel like there's a freedom when you're younger. There's a freedom in, there's no mm-hmm. pressure to make money, right? There's no pressure to pay bills. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're just doing it because it's fun and you have an active imagination and you like it. But then when you get right. older and then, you know, you go, oh, well, you know, my mom needs help around the house. My dad needs help with this. I, if I was working, I could do this. Um, mm-hmm. And then, like, suddenly you get your own bills, you know, or, you know, you, you, you want your own kind of income. You know, you, oh, I feel like I'm a burden on people, you know, on my parents because I'm always asking them for money. And then sometimes the, 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 it shifts from fun to I need work. Um, mm-hmm. And um, the desperation for work um could take can take over um so i think transitioning as an adult it's kind of trying to remember why you do it at the end of the day um and it's it goes back to that place of being a child being a kid when you were just having fun um Mm -hmm. because if you're not having fun what's what's the point like charlie had made very clear and he said something to me that that stuck with me um when i was in that time of of kind of desperate for work and nothing was Mm -hmm. happening and nothing was working um he was just like if you bring desperation anything you bring bring into your read will come out in your read you know anything you bring so if you bring uh i i need this job that's gonna come out Mm -hmm. in your read um underneath the words um right and i think that was like a big a big kind of eye-opening thing for me um because you know my work ethic had changed I wasn't rehearsing a lot I wasn't having fun I was getting desperate Mm -hmm. I was afraid I was going to get dropped from my agency because I just wasn't working it had been years um so I'd say that I'd say stumbling through it and and learning um and really going back to having fun um yeah yeah so was taking a class like Charlie is kind of the the eye-opener in that moment um, I think or had so. it been kind of like a process where you kind of get in there and then that was just the the kick you needed to hear. Um, that was something I definitely needed to hear. I think just in my in in my desperation, I I was kind of blinded. So I was like, if I try hard enough, mm-hmm. I'll do good, right? If I if I if right. I try hard enough, um, and then so it became about doing good instead of being faith true, being organic, right? And, um, mm-hmm. so I think taking classes like Charlie's was really instrumental in that process because sometimes you need other people to tell you like other people who are like you know more well experienced to tell you this is kind of what you're doing wrong um or this is (laughs) you have the right attitude but you have the wrong approach or you have the right approach but the wrong attitude um so I think and and I think anytime I I stay in my art is is good for me to re to kind of remind myself why I do what I do. Right. Yeah. 
It's so funny because I think, um, and let me know if, if you kind of feel this as well, mm-hmm. but in the lead up to getting a job or auditioning, because you're you're on your own so much of the time mm-hmm. and you're auditioning and auditioning and you do fall into a rhythm and you start to, again, like you said, that desperation for work yeah. feeds what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it starts to become less about the experience and the fun of it versus uh, when you're actually working on a show mm-hmm. and you have a job and you're getting in there, I find that a lot of times, like doing Castlevania, for example, mm-hmm. when I'm in the booth and I'm I'm voicing Siphon, we're going through these scenes, a lot of everything just kind of falls away. And for the yeah. moment, there is only that. Yeah. There is only that world. There's only that character. Mm-hmm. And you're living in that. And in those moments, you remember why mm-hmm. you're doing what you do. Mm-hmm. But when you're auditioning, yeah, when you're auditioning, you're thinking about, okay, there's faceless person X, Y, and Z behind this. (laughs) What do they want to hear? How do I give them that? And you're thinking less about the character and having fun and living that. Mm -hmm. And you're sucked into, how do I get this job? Yeah, what do they want? You know, how how do I impress them? How do I give them what they want? Um, That's, that's. Yeah, that's a heavy, heavy one. I I remember speaking on your like how everything else falls away. The first episode I did of Spider Man, um, mm-hmm. which was the first episode I think of that season, and that was the first time I had worked. I think that was what brought me out of my seven year dry spell was Spider Man. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember walking in the booth that first day, and everybody it was like a multi mic, so everybody was there. Um, you know, Robbie Damon, Ben Diskin, Jason Spizak. Um, who I would eventually work with in Young Justice. We'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, and then they started. And I didn't even have lines until like maybe like page 15 or something. So for the first yeah. like maybe half hour of the session, it was me listening to everybody do their thing. And they completely absorbed me into the world of Spider-Man. I felt like I was I was there. It was and it was it was incredible. I was like, this, this is this is the stuff. This is the good stuff. You know, this is the this is the lifeblood. Um, But when you're auditioning, it's so because like kind of like what you said, the I have to impress this this other person Um, or, you know, sometimes when you're auditioning, you you get a role that you're really attached to or you get something Mm -hmm. that you're like, oh, my God, I would love to play this. And so you like do all of the work, you know. Um, yeah. Or you, or that's almost the kiss of death, right? That's pretty much. Oh, I would love to do when, this. Whenever you you go, oh my god, this is perfect. This is this is exactly me. This is my dream role. Nine times out of ten, <laughs> you know, <laughs> nine times out of ten, it might not work out that way because it hasn't for me. Um, and I've auditioned for my dream role like four times, um, mm-hmm. and I haven't got them once. Um, so like, I just think that there's this enormous pressure to uh be exactly what these people behind that the glass don't even see um and i'm trying to learn to stop doing it (laughs) right and the thing is it starts to turn into a kind of sad race to the middle Mm -hmm. right because you water down this is what i think they would want as opposed to giving your personal unique only you can give rate of it right because your unique experience is going to color whatever you do exactly and in all of this mental workshopping to Mm -hmm. "Hmm, what would they want Mm -hmm. it just turns into this race to the middle and you know nine times out of ten the characters that you get there's something 
about them, the character that you possess. That's like all the characters that I've played. There's something about them. They have a trait that I also possess. And that's Mm -hmm. how we're linked. And that's how we're connected. And that's why it's easy to drop into them because they possess traits that are alive within myself. Um, Either that or they've been uh, characters who I've just been like, oh, screw it. This is how I think this is going to go. And whatever. I'm probably not going to get it anyway. So I'm just going to do this, you know? Um, Yeah. And, and, um, yeah, it becomes kind of like a, you're kind of, you kind of start doing these mental gymnastics to go, okay, well, how, (laughs) you know, and that really takes away from, I think your personal artistic take on it. Um, because, you know, if everybody's giving them the same thing, because everybody's thinking the same thing, what do they want? If everybody's giving them that, then there's no life. Right. And I think that's also something that comes through this whole process and this whole struggle Mm -hmm. because i think the greener you are the newer you are to it Mm -hmm. the more you're struggling to give kind of what you've seen other people give or the people that you've seen been successful or the people that you've identified with their work Mm -hmm. and i think through this process and through being broken down audition after audition and and through learning and through actually working and experiencing that side of things you start to identify those things that are just yours. Yeah. And you start to feel more, you start to give yourself more permission to do those things, even if it's not quote unquote or doesn't seem quote unquote right. Mm-hmm. And I think you start to give yourself more permission to do that and explore that and and hope for the best. I think after years of like, of like, like you said, kind of being broken down, eventually you get to a point where you're tired, right? Eventually you get to a point you go, you know what? Forget it. I'm just going to do, oh, well, that's this what happened with me. Like I, uh, I remember once my work started changing is when I stopped caring so much. Um, not about my art, but about what they want. You know what I mean? Like when I stopped, when I, when I, right, when I yeah. kept going, you know, not to the attempt, I'm not even going to get this. Like most of the auditions that I've done that I've been like, yo, that was like one of my best auditions ever. I don't get, I don't get the callback. And then like auditions that I go, that was horrible. I'll get the callback for. So once I started not like kind of, I don't want to say not caring. Once I started kind of just going, okay, well, what do I want to do? Like what, what, let me just, right. let me just do what I, what I'm going to do. It was more internal than external. Right. And I think, like, I was also inspired by something Michael B. Jordan said about how the way he approaches his work, where he goes, I kind of give them what I want to do, and then me and them can work from there. Um, hmm. And I was like, that's Michael B. Jordan. And I know he's, you know, but that's that's kind of a, a career that I aspire to be on, right? That's kind of a career mindset I, I like, right. where I can go, this is what I think this character should be. Um, and that gives you a lot of power as an actor. And I think as actors, we sometimes forget our power because we want money. You know what I mean? Because, because you know, <laughs> the casting directors at the end of the day are going to be the people that give us the job and therefore us the money. So we forget our power and we submit to our casting directors or we submit to even our agents, you know, um, because we're like, oh, they're kind of they're giving me the opportunities and they're bringing me in so I kind of have to do whatever they say and no you kind of don't not all the time right there's a lot Mm -hmm. of giving your power away um I went to this talk at at SAG-AFTRA and uh Dee Bradley Baker was talking about how 
he approaches everything being as mm-hmm. collaborative as possible because he's like, I think actors tend to forget that they are, you know, a piece mm-hmm. of that process. And and you do give that power away and you're just like, I, I'll be whatever yeah. you want me to be. And it's like, no, we're going to work together and we're going to find the perfect thing that I couldn't mm-hmm. do without you mm-hmm. and you couldn't do without me. And Charlie said mm-hmm. something in our class mm-hmm. uh, early on that felt like, oh, like I felt yeah. it in my gut because it's so simple, but it's so easy to forget. And he asked everyone in class, who here likes to act? Raise your hand. Right. <laughs> All the hands go up. Mm-hmm. So why are you suffering? Right. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Charlie. And that's how he is. He just he'll just drop knowledge bombs every class and I'm like this this man, this is why I do this. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I mean that hit me too and I'm like dang, like why? Yeah, absolutely. Right? Every everyone's in there like a bleeding heart. Mhm. Mhm. You know, like, I just want to work. And it's like, you know, every audition you do is an opportunity to yeah. do what you love, whether yeah. you book it or not. So so why are you suffering? Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's it's such a good it's such a good kind of way to view it. Like every audition is an opportunity, but it's also an opportunity to play. You know, not everybody gets that opportunity to play in front of people who can tell them, hey, do you want to do this for money now? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> we would all do it for free. We would all do it for right. free. So we're technically doing it for free. Um, but I just think it's the added pressure of wanting to continue to do it or, you know, the all the adult stuff that, that comes that comes with it. Yeah, that's true. It feels very much like the the dream job when mm-hmm. you're a kid, right? You mm-hmm. get to play and be all of these people that even on camera you could never dream yeah. of portraying, mm-hmm. right? Because there aren't those limitations on on voiceover. And then you you grow up. Yeah. And there are all these outside forces mm-hmm. kind of competing for all of that energy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do want to go back to one thing you said yes. about the characters that you have booked or usually book mm. having at least that one thing that you very much identify with. Yeah. When when you get your audition signs, mm-hmm. you have this character identifying that piece of their soul or their personality mm-hmm. or their idiosyncrasies or whatever it is, is that an immediate thing? Like, do you just recognize immediately, boom, that's me? Or is it kind of a process in auditioning it or or workshopping it that you kind of find yourself in it? How does that how does that work for you? I think I I approach like a I think it's a case by case uh kind of thing. Kind of like how I approach mm-hmm. all of all of my work. It's very much like, okay, who's this guy? Okay, what's he about? Um and then usually in reading it and rehearsing it, I sort of kind of find the beats or the beats or more rather they find kind of me. They like they find me. <laughs> like everybody I've booked so far has kind of just found me like I kind of looked at them and I went oh this is how I think that they should go it it kind of strikes this kind of chord in me it's almost a very unexplainable kind of spiritual kind of thing you know what I mean Hmm. um Remy for example Big City Greens uh he was like a he's like a sheltered kid um Mm -hmm. but he's very excited he's very enthusiastic about everything because he's so sheltered and I've felt a little sheltered um not knowing a lot about like quote unquote the real world so I kind of identified with that so I kind of knew how to play that but the voice kind of just came to me 
um, and the character kind of just came to me as as I did it, as I, uh, mm-hmm. and and even even after getting the role, he still there's still fine tuning, like there's still like even if you if you go back and watch, you can hear the difference between the early episodes I recorded and the episodes mm-hmm. that are coming out now, um, because I was still finding him along the way. And speaking of big city greens, mm-hmm. um, you did you did talk about how you went that long period basically where mm-hmm. it's almost like a, a period of drought, right? Yeah. In, in in your work. Um which also, I mean, it drains not just emotionally, but like spiritually. It's mm-hmm. such a it's such a heavy thing on you as a creative, as an artist. Mm-hmm. So going through that and coming out on the other side of it, mm-hmm. um, what do you think was was the difference maker? Because I mean, when it rains, it pours. Mm-hmm. It went from basically, you know, seven tough years mm-hmm. to Big City Greens, Craig of the Creek, Young Justice. You know, and those three specific projects all happened at the same time. I, I, I it's it, That's it's crazy. crazy. Um, first and foremost, I think it was just a lot of faith, uh, faith in God, and and yeah. um, just kind of a a very uh what's the word i'm looking for like the people who like like pain i uh, masochistic <laughs> like that is kind of what it felt like for a while um it was like, like a glutton for punishment yeah just like oh god like i should really like stop doing this but i can't so i guess we're just gonna have to keep going until something happens um yeah, yeah that dry spell was was a very transformative period of years and sometimes you know uh you know for me it was seven years which uh, we could get into all the spiritual stuff of how number (laughs) number seven is the bible uh i don't i don't know if it's that deep but i do i do think that sometimes um god does like kind of was your wandering in the desert moment yeah you know what i mean like god sometimes kind of leads you out there and lets you stumble through it a bit and then when you finally kind of come, when you learn what you're supposed to learn or when you come into the enlightenment, what you're supposed to do, when you meet the right people, um, then he'll open the floodgates for you. Um, and for me, that was, uh, it was like, okay, the, the, those seven years, then I was like taking classes and I was finishing school. And then I, I, you know, I was meeting people. That's how I met Andrew in college. And then Andrew had this big idea that he wanted to do these classes. And then I took the Charlie class and the Charlie and Chris Zimmerman Mm. class, you know, like a lot of things lined up and ordained in my path of, and this whole time I'm auditioning. And this time I've been auditioning. I've been dropped from my agency, repicked back up from my agency. Um, And, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing the long, how long and, and, and tough it was. Um, just for the yeah. sake of time, because I know we have other things to cover. But um, yeah, it was like a very long time. And there was like hundreds of auditions, you know, think callbacks, mm-hmm. not getting them, you know, that that does something to your spirit that does something where you go, oh, well, then and then I think the year before everything started happening was the worst ever i mean like that was the year of loss like those were the times where i was auditioning for those dream roles getting callbacks for those dream roles and then not getting them and you know um and then you know losing you know uh like 
people that were important to you in your life. So like a lot of there's a lot of personal things going on. Then I was working this job that yeah. I had this retail job that I hated. And it just felt like I was so far from everything that I loved. Um, I was far mm-hmm. from people that I loved. I was far from uh, the art that I loved and the roles that I loved. And it wasn't even, it was worse that I, I had, I was so close. You know what I mean? Like I got a call, you yeah. know, I got a call back or I lost significant relationships, you know, people that I was close to people who I needed at that time. Um, and I was like kind of losing my faith a little bit. I was like, God, you must hate me. Cause like, this is, this is not how I pictured my life to be at this point. Um, so I thought, I was like, I don't know what I did. I don't know what to do. Um, but I had a long, I had a talk with, uh, with a pastor and, um, uh, who's actually a friend of my dad, uh, my friend's dad. Um, and, um, you know, I was like, all right, fine. I'm just gonna spend all my money (laughs) on this next Charlie class or whatever. And, um, you know, like spending the rest of my money to just take classes and just, I was like, fine, if nothing else will work, then I'm just going to, this acting is all I have left. I'm just going to do that. Um, it's the only thing keeping me here, whatever. Um, and then, um, and then I got auditioned for big city greens and, um, that happened. And so big city greens was Mm -hmm. like the audition and I had auditioned for it before, actually. That was my second time auditioning for Remy. Um, I auditioned for before, like years before. Um, so I auditioned for it again. And then I got a callback. And then that was four more callbacks. Kind of like what you were talking about. Oh, my goodness. You, you yeah. go to the callback thinking that you're going to – that you're doing a callback and you're doing an episode. That's how it was. So I did, like, four of those <laughs> um, before actually getting the role. And then um, and then Craig of the Creek happened. Um and then, yeah, I took the Charlie class and Young Justice happened. And it was all the same year. Um, That's amazing. It was really crazy. Yeah, it was a blessing for sure. It, definitely. And it must have been such a, a case of whiplash, too, because you're going from years and years of, okay, you do all these callbacks mm-hmm. and stuff. You know, it's, it's just not happening. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it's like, boom, boom, boom. Right. Everything is happening all at once. Yeah, I was like, oh, I must, I am good at this. <laughs> I can't do this for a living. <laughs> you know, like, I don't suck. Um, yeah, it was definitely whiplash. But I just think the timing of it all was really what made kind of kind of strengthened my faith it was just like wow there's no way this is a coincidence this is like there's no way like young justice is one of my favorite shows ever you know what i mean like that was one of my favorite cartoons if you are enjoying this episode with Zeno robinson as much as i am fret not there is a part two ready and waiting for you so head on over to learn more about his experience on young justice outsiders his experience in the world of star wars and some awesome dream roles that might be in store Head on over. We'll call this one episode 112, Cyborg and the Good Stuff with Zeno Robinson, part one.